And we're recording. Let me make a clap just so we can sync this up. So, uh, I think that should do her. Anyways, uh, welcome to the Lookout Podcast. Um, with me today is my guest, Parker Duncan. And uh, we fought some fire to to this season, of uh, 2021. <laughs> uh, man, I need more coffee. But uh, thanks for joining me, Parker. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's kind of a tough finding a spot to uh, do this podcast this evening, but uh, we made it work. Um, Heck yeah. Ho- hopefully the studio will be done, I can't say by the next one, but hopefully it's sometime this spring and it'll make things a little easier. But yeah, um, yeah let, let's uh, talk a little bit about your background and kind of how we ended up getting getting together, like your history. Because I guess let's start with your, your fire background and then we can kind of like thread everything else in there too, you know, like other stuff we want to cover. And yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, and, and maybe even if it's all right, uh, touch on a few stuff before that even happened. Uh, yeah, definitely. So I grew up in Whitefish, Montana, Flathead Valley, uh, Northwest and, um, you know, had a, had a really good upbringing, did a lot of, uh, skiing, skateboarding, you know, lake fun, really great place to grow up, uh, right at the foothills of Glacier Park there. And, uh, my grandfather took me on a lot of hikes, uh, when I was a little kid, um, all, on all sorts of adventures through the park. Uh, he had a group called Over the Hill Gang, which was, uh, like, I think the youngest guy on it was, like, 56, and the oldest guy was, like, 82, and it was all these old guys who would hike through the park, and they're all, like, war vets and old firefighters and just interesting folks, you know. That's so, awesome. Um, through Glacier, huh? Yeah, so so I was with them a lot and um, would do stuff like that. And, yeah, just had a, had a really good uh, upbringing there and um, fell in love with skiing more than anything. My dad moved to the Flathead from Great Falls when he was younger because he loved skiing, and so he got us kids doing it. And um, Nice. I fell in love with skiing. That was probably my biggest uh, biggest passion. I wanted to be a freestyle skier, you know, growing up watching Tanner Hall and yeah, Pat Fuhas and all these guys, you know, coming up on the scene and uh, got really into competing. I, I was never really a sports person. Like football, basketball was never really my thing. I was more into extreme sports, but uh, I got on the freestyle skiing team uh, on Big Mountain there. And yeah, kind of a different kind of athletic, you know. Yeah, and and we still pushed each other, and it, it was its own kind of team, and that was really great, except for. Um, I had three season-ending injuries in a row, 2005, six, and seven. Ooh. I, uh, yeah, I broke my leg in several places. The first, uh, that one year, 2005, and then the next year was a broken collarbone, actually in a competition for skiing. It was a pretty pivotal one, too. Oh, and then uh, the year after that was um, I sliced my leg open on my freshly sharpened ski edge. Uh, it was about an inch from my artery in my leg. So oh. luckily my Eagle Scout buddy who was there with me uh, patched me up and it, and I was all good. But uh, Jeez, dude, that's a close call. Yeah, so after that third one, I was like, well, maybe freestyle skiing isn't my bag. And, yeah. and so it, it all worked out because, um, you know, I found music and music became my passion. Went to school for music after I graduated in 2009. Went to Pasadena, California, and uh, studied bass guitar. And you know, I've I've always been a fan of the arts, so yeah. took things there. But when I moved back to Montana and was kind of like eager for adventure, I almost joined the military and didn't for various reasons. But I, I found fire, and that's uh, yeah, that was I, I started that. And, uh, my first season was in 2013 out uh, of Missoula here. That's awesome. How old are you now? I'm 31. 31. So I was 20. 
22 at the time, about to turn 23 my first season. Dude, you packed a lot of stuff in your a lot of stuff in your 20s there, man. Like that's yeah. that's pretty good, man. <laughs> yeah, pretty good run there. I, I I really did. Um, but you know, just move. I've I've lived in I think 20 different places uh, since I was 19. Jeez, man, yeah. that's awesome. Man. That's <laughs> but it's nice to move around and do different things and yeah, experience different places and different people. And um, yeah, I moved to Missoula and um, in 2013 and uh, wanted to do something different. And one of my buddies was talking about smoke jumping someday, and I was like, yeah, you know, my grandpa did that and uh, wanted to get into it. Wanted to do something adventurous that let me travel and you know. It's, single and homeless so yeah. might as well do something that's Dude. gonna let me travel and stuff. yeah the wildland lifestyle man yeah <laughs> single yeah. and homeless and, and, I, and i fell in love with it I, I got on the grayback crew out of missoula here and um they sent me to oregon um and i fell in love with the oregon guys we had a we had a really really great season that year so that's awesome man and, and the, the contract world even though <clears> it's it's pretty good size it's, you don't there's not that as many of them because the Forest Service is so giant. You know, you feel like you're running into Forest Service folks all the time. Yeah. I mean, I think pretty every big fire I've ran into some kind of contractor, you know, whether it be Grayback or mm-hmm. one of the other, you know, various uh, crews. But, I mean, you don't really get a chance to really hang out with them because they're kind of doing their own thing, almost similar to a hotshot crew where they're kind of got their chunk of line, got their camp, and yeah. they don't really interact as much with the, the feds. So, yeah. like, you're kind of the first – person off contract crew that I ever spent like time with and and uh got yeah, to hear, hear about it you know it was a good way to start the career because I had no idea what I was getting into I didn't know the agencies I didn't know how you moved up I didn't know the different kinds of things you could do you know yeah. I didn't even know what a hot shot was when I started this job I was like is that a I thought it was a joke that they called them that. Yeah. It's like, oh, they think they're so cool, call themselves hot shots. Like, so it was kind of funny uh, when I got into it. I had no idea about any of that. But uh, my first role ever uh, was in Oregon, and we were an IA resource for the local forest there because all the local resources got sucked into the American fire and the Rim fire at the time and some, oh, big, yeah. some huge incidents. So we just got an IA, like eight to nine IAs in like two weeks, and it was really a really good introduction to – get to see small fire and like get to uh, work my way out from there yeah know? absolutely especially those ias man like mm-hmm. you to learn a lot and interact with dispatch a bunch you know or like mm-hmm. those large fires you're not going to talk to a dispatch you know like yeah <laughs> respond to your task force leader typically if you're on a crew or an engine you know or maybe division right and i got to see you know the ecological aspects of it and uh learn a, I, I had a really awesome squad boss at the time um who lined me out on you know, I think it was like my second day on the job. I was like, why are we doing this? Like, yeah. like, isn't the forest like kind of supposed to burn? And, you know, he gave me the whole spiel and, and gave me some literature to read. And it was, uh, it was very enlightening and kind of, kind of helped me. And he had a, he had a complex and, uh, intellectual view of it. So it helped, it helped me, uh, kind of figure that stuff out. Cause like, obviously I was mostly there for the adventure and yeah. all that, but I wanted to like know why we were there and what what we were trying to accomplish yeah absolutely man and, and that's what it's kind of always like not always surprising but always like a, i guess like a pleasant surprise i guess is when you run into somebody like like yourself man like you're you're a pretty educated fella so it's it's nice to talk to you and kind of and it's a different education than what i have typically mm-hmm. and that's what i run into in the forest service or in the wildland a lot is like folks who maybe have a different background than what they want to go into and decide like hey, I'd, I'd rather be outside and, and work in in the woods and, right. and uh, do this exciting job versus whatever else they might have, you know, turned to, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and that was the biggest thing is I, wa- I wanted something that was, uh, you know, would put me out into the world and let me see some more 
places and experience things with people and I was eager for the camaraderie I wanted that and we were a really close squad on that crew and and that was a good introduction for me for sure yeah that's what I was gonna say like the team atmosphere and fire and it's probably been just like a, a theme that keeps looping in this podcast and it probably always will mm-hmm. because that's what of fire course. is yeah yeah um and then with contract crews is it similar to the forest service where it's just a really good job that you can do while um going to school because the, the forest service and probably BLM and maybe some other groups in the wildland understand like, hey, I'm I'm in school. I can only work a short year, a short yeah. season, and they they totally understand. So the 1039 really works out pretty good. The seasonal yeah, employment. I mean, I feel like it's good in that respect. I can't speak for others because I wasn't going to like full time school or anything at that time. But I feel like um, they would work with folks uh, pretty well and. Uh, you know, one thing about the contract world is that, uh, you know, if you get on the right company or the right crew, they, they do they do work with you and they do help you out. And uh, especially once you become like a perm, you're uh, you're part of a family that they will uh, they'll, they'll, they treat pretty well. That's good. man. And, and they'll work around your your family, your schedule, things like that to uh, to accommodate you. And um, so, yeah, there's pros and cons to every agency, of course, and every uh every contractor i'm sure but uh yeah absolutely i I liked that aspect for sure and uh you know and one thing i've noticed about contractors uh that i've seen on the line and stuff is their their morale is usually pretty high and they're usually just really stoked to be there yeah and and they're trying to compete with you know the the feds and all these other things so they'll they'll put in good work i mean i mean that there's there's contract crews out there that will that will blow some shot crews out of the water because there's some shot crews that are like you know not that great honestly <laughs> yeah sometimes yeah sometimes just going through the motion and kind of wearing the yeah the name maybe a little bit you know and that yep. happens at all like you said yep. all aspects of yep. life and all aspects of fire you absolutely know? like you know that's always complaining i think anything that's high level you know i've mm-hmm. even heard like jocko talk about it i think it was jocko or somebody talk about the navy seals it's like mm-hmm. could have been even goggins or one of those guys who are you know still getting after it talk about how like once they get through buds or whatever which is insane that they just shut off because like oh i made it no there's yeah. always there's always a new threshold there's always yeah. there's always something to uh to work on for sure yeah we'll, we'll probably touch on more of that later too absolutely man um and then uh the contract world like you said like the the hard work man and in that little competition i guess is what i want to touch on is that um i think that's what people don't really understand either is like they see uh boots and greens and yellows you know and hard hats and people like mm-hmm. think it's all one group you know and I, yeah in a sense we are one like big family but yep. it's like there's so many different layers to that big fire that people have no idea about even from like the camp crews to like you said the hot shot smoke jumpers whoever type 2 type 2 ia engines you know like different right. agencies and it's humbling because before i ever went on my first fire i dug probably five to six miles a line on project work oh, with, yeah. the, with the with the uh, contract crew and and so by the time I was on my first fire, I, I knew how to dig line, <laughs> yeah. you know, but I, but it was, uh, there was all these other things to learn. And, uh, you know, so a lot of times, especially with these busier seasons that we're having, you know, hot shots getting thrown on surge crews, uh, you know, burning more, doing what they're utilized for, which makes sense. Totally. It's easy to get kind of, um, you know, used to this uh, status and one thing i liked about the contractors is like they're mopping up behind you they're doing the dirty work they're doing the kind of stuff that hot shots used to do more of but now are having to be utilized for their special skill sets and i think it's uh you know once in a while the hot shots will be like mopping up and the you know 
they'll be crying about it or whatever. Yeah, and, yeah. and it's like, but it's like, yeah, those the type two crews do that a lot and all the time and they're doing yeah. it and, and you know and they're doing it with a smile on their face so you know and and doesn't mean that they can't burn and have those capabilities either but generally the qualifications to meet those standards um are given to um those higher type one crews yeah but i, I think it, it is good to remain humble and uh, and know that like if you want a thousand or 1200 hour season you know you're gonna have to mop up a bunch <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely man it's, so, yeah, it's part and, of it yeah totally and, and not as rare as it used to be when i first started you got a thousand hours man like you were on an elite hotshot crew that was getting called out a lot you know that doesn't seem to happen as much anymore and i guess yeah. uh back to your history too i don't think did you mention when i was messing with the recorder but um your fire history started with contracting and then mm-hmm. did you go contracting to hot shots yeah so i did two years on a type two hand crew um, and then I applied for like, uh, like all the crews. Like I applied, oh, yeah. I, I threw the net wide for Hot Shots. I didn't really care who. I just really wanted to get picked up by one. Oh, um, smart, that man. was my goal. And so um, I was actually gunning for Gila Hot Shots because I had a buddy on them and just had heard a lot of interesting things about them. And like any of those R three crews, honestly, if your goal is to Hot Shot, like you will get some of the best experience and some of the most hours with some of the most dialed people in that region and not Absolutely. to put any other region down. It just, that was what was told to me. And from what I've seen, they, they produced that. And so I wanted to be in region three and I ended up getting on Mount Taylor hot shots in 2015. I had never heard of Mount Taylor, but I was like, Hey, they're an R3. Yeah. You know, they're an R3 crew out, out of New Mexico. Like let's send it. And so I, I took the job. Yeah, nice, man. Yeah, and that's uh, the Gila, man. I, I could fall a little fire on that. That's gorgeous area. And we yeah. were actually kind of in, uh, I can't remember what fire it was, but we were uh, in coordination with saving the Gila trout on one of those big fires. Oh, really? I can't remember what it was. but like The Gila trout? Yeah, huh? like really rare. What river like runs this. through there? I don't uh, I don't even remember. It was one, like, one of my first seasons in fire, and I remember like they were talking about just um, that – uh, rare species of the, of the Gila trout and uh, yeah the fire they were trying to get ahead of the fire to save a bunch of these trout and mm. I, I think they did and and this is a good time to maybe tie into the more the uh, you know the biologist perspective because when I was uh, when I was on Mount Taylor we had a 900 hour season but the first two months was sitting at home Ooh. they have a long season so uh, it was just a lot of rain and stuff. And I ended up yeah. having a really good conversation with a biologist when we were out on project work. And I was looking at the unit we were we were all cutting in. And uh, we had discussed the prescription, you know, in detail. But the biologist took me aside and I asked her a few questions. And she was like, you know, think of it this way. Like, we're the scientists. You're the artists. Oh. You're a hunter, right? And I was like, yeah. And, um, and she's like, well, if you were bow hunting through this area, you know, how would you want it to look? You'd have some... Know, little patches of trees for animals to hide keep a couple snags you know for the for the owls to have habitat in like have it look like you know that you can see and actually hunt and like you're not like so there's not a juniper every four feet yeah but also we're not trying to clear cut like you know how does how does this forest like how would you want it to look if you were hunting in it i was like oh that's a different perspective of something i hadn't seen before and they're much more you know scrutinizing about how you know the prescription uh develops but her just conveying that to me helped me see it a little better because some people i'm not i'm not like trying to call anybody out but some people you know they just cut everything in front of them you know yeah yeah, totally and that's easy to do but it's 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 best to like take a minute like look back like 
hey, uh, should I leave this? Should I take this? And kind of like have a have a plan, you know, yeah. for the next 50 feet. Absolutely. Whatever it is. So. And especially for new Sawyer, like even probably me, I'd probably the same way. So you're just like, someone's watching me and I got to I gotta put out, you know, because like I, I appreciate yeah. being here. You're so. trying to prove yourself. Yeah, trying to prove it, yeah. But there's a balance between that and like what the actual goal is for that. So. Yeah, and I was so ignorant, man. I didn't even really like, <laughs> I wasn't really looking around at that. I was just like, all right, you know, this is the DBH I got to stay within, you know, mm-hmm. and whatever leaf trees and like habitat trees yeah. like you were mentioning too and yeah yeah so um so you went to the hot shots in mount taylor and what where in the state is, is that at so mount taylor is based out of grants new mexico oh, uh, about an hour and a half i believe uh west of albuquerque oh and so right. we're kind of just um uh we were just in this tiny little town uh, where the the main economy is a uranium mine oh, and wow. you're just stuck between a hoop of reservations i think i worked with uh mostly native americans slash native american mexicans on that crew who were from seven to eight different tribes oh really so i got a lot of cool cultural um you know perspective from them and and their different tribes and their their different ways of uh looking at things so that that was really really cool cool, it was was mostly yeah i was it was the first time i was uh uh you know growing up in you know white fish i was, <laughs> it was yeah. very very much a white uh community and and being like the um being the minority and being on that uh, on that other side of things was a uh, was was enlightening and actually really cool experience yeah that's awesome man it's similar being whitehall like there's not really a reservation too close and we'd place it's ironic both yeah our white. places were free of <laughs> the yeah. white name. yeah exactly i <laughs> wanted darker kids in school at one point I think you know being part native but mm-hmm. uh yeah everyone's really cool we played a lot of the native teams but that was about the only mm-hmm. interaction you had with them you know so didn't really get a good perspective until I went to college and yeah to talk to more folks that were actually off the reservation you know yeah and that crew actually um uh, from the crew symbol to uh the way they they run things are are very respectful of the local tribes and uh and the various uh cultural nuances and you know like they even on a small fire we'd, we'd often call a an agricultural specialist to make sure we're not like messing around in somebody's sacred grounds yeah, you know? yeah so could, that that would happen a lot down there actually we'd have a we'd have a specialist i, I can't remember exactly what they're called for the foresters but yeah they're um, yeah we get like an, uh, an archaeologist yeah mm-hmm. usually come in and, and check that out like i, I talked to this arc on this one fire and uh, you know it's starting from the time yeah yeah, yeah. but um <laughs> Shoot, moving down the list, man. Otherwise, we're all uh, yeah, no worries. Um, but yeah, that was a good first season with the Hot Shots. Uh, kind of ended crazy. I actually ended that season hospitalized. Uh, there was uh, speaking of you know, Jeez, you've been beat up, man. What happened? Well, uh, <laughs> the uh, y- you know, it's funny because we're we're talking about this post COVID right now, but yeah. uh, you know, camp crud's always been a thing, and so Dude. by late September, you know, we'd it was like a it was a busy season, but it wasn't busy enough to be like everything's indirect like it was like you know it's it's almost like those in-between seasons are harder on your body because you're going direct so much yeah. and you're not doing as much burns you're not doing as much uh prep and all that so yeah. we were just you know going hard balls to the wall and uh you know the crew was pretty worn down by the end there and um there was this gnarly virus going through camp um uh, 
and it was a respiratory virus. The same day I got pulled off the hill. Um, what year was I, that? I was, it was 2015, 2015. On the Rough Fire, yeah, rough in fire. California. So oh. At the time, it was the fifth largest fire in California state history. Now it's not even in the top 20. Jeez, yeah, I remember Puts you in perspective of where things are at right now. So, yeah. yeah um, six years. I got, I got pulled off the hill. Nothing, nothing too crazy. I mean, I was malnourished. Didn't I was dehydrated? I think I had four IVs in twelve hours. Holy like cow! They, really they needed the, yeah, they needed to really put a lot of fluid in me. Uh, but as I was getting, I wasn't like an emergency. They didn't have me on the ambulance or anything. I was going down in the EMT truck. But while I was going down hill in the EMT truck, uh, two um, Arrowhead hotshots were uh, getting medevaced off the hill via helicopter because oh, of respiratory. Geez. And I, I guarantee it had to do with that virus too. Because, and and you know kudos to those guys because they were conducting a burn on the very same piece of ground that one of their uh one of their uh homies had uh passed away Jeez. from uh, cutting a snag years before so there's a lot going on there you know and, and just to be on that piece of ground and uh you know I, I i you know put all my condolences and my heart out to those guys for for doing what they did and, you yeah, know we were doing it we dude. were doing a big like five mile catcher's mitt kind of burn operation and and the funny part is after even that part happened as crazy as it was then the ic gets over the horn and he's like clear channel we got two cal fire firefighters in the middle of this burn i don't know their engine number get them out of there and oh, like so all geez. this stuff's happening at once and i'm yeah. crawling around i icp with a you know an iv like yeah. <laughs> like walking around with a dirty white shirt like oh, this guy's no. got like a needle in his arm getting an iv you know and so anyways, that season ended a little gnarlier than I had planned, and we got demoed because I wasn't the only one messed up. This guy was allergic to cedar tree. And oh, really? God, his, his face was all swollen. Cedar so, more up in that country, right? Yeah, so so we got we got, we got got out of there, and um, it, it was a good f- first year on the Hot Shots because it taught me my limitations. It taught me that they're much further than I, than I previously thought. We did some crazy shifts. We did some really cool operations, and... You know, it was an intro intro into that world and so uh to, to move forward yeah i got picked up by by bitterroot uh That's the awesome. following season and, and i was with them for three seasons and, and the, the cool part about bitterroot was uh we were um it was mostly the same people for those three years after that you know when i left about almost half the crew left and, and for various reasons but it was yeah. just it was cool to be you know, by 2018, you know, we go conduct a burn at night and everybody knows what they need to do. We're dialed. We just fall into where we need to be. And so that that was really cool. That's where a lot of my yeah. a lot of my experience came from and stuff was with those guys. Absolutely, man. I was going to tie that back into like the burning op- op- opportunities, you know, like a type 2 IA crew, like you said, typically can burn and, and will burn on some um, occasions. But, you, you know, usually it's the hot shots. But because of that uh, of cohesiveness, you have, you have the chemistry. It's like, all right, we're going to burn this. You don't even really have to say much, you know. It's like mm-hmm. everyone already knows kind of their job and what yeah. to do. And versus like saws are holding, you yeah. know who's burning, you know who's firing boss. You know, just everybody falls in. Yeah, versus like the Type Two IA crew, especially if it's like one of your first <laughs> couple of shifts. And if it's a throw together forest crew, you might not even know who can do what. Even <laughs> you know, you're like, okay, who has actually burned before, you know? Yeah. And that makes it well, the operation slow way down, you know. Yeah, and it and depends on what elements line up and what don't, you know. You, you might have a, a chunk of hill that's like not the most uh, forgiving, maybe yeah. uh, for the for the lighters and or or maybe for the holders or, or vice versa. So it's it's yeah. just like and and so sometimes that stuff will work out, 
and sometimes it's like you gotta adjust a bit as you go and that adjustment will be easier obviously if you have worked together before so. yeah, absolutely especially if you're in a tight tighter window of time we're like the type 2a crew it's a great learning experience you know you can learn a lot from it and, mm -hmm. and get some good coaching and even maybe from a more experienced crew that you might be with on that division but or your crew boss who might be ex hotshot or whatever might happen or just have a ton of experience on a, on a district so i mean there's definitely a good teachable moment there but if you're in a, a time mm -hmm. pinch it's makes more sense to grab a hotshot crew or someone type one related you know yep absolutely and then um but yeah, and also pushing the limits, like you said, with the with the hotshot world too, like the long shifts, uh, being a little more remote too with the the hotshots. It's not like with an engine where you're kind of carrying all your supplies with you sometimes, you know, and most of the time, you know, with the hotshot crew, you got whatever you brought with you on the hill, mm -hmm. and you know, you definitely know if you got some holes in your game there. You know, like I I started carrying way more electrolytes, and mm -hmm. uh, when I was on just the Great Northern Type Two IA crew, I never was on the hotshot crew, but just even that, you know, getting a little like hot shot light i guess you know because we were kind of like a training crew you know yeah those um those electrolyte tablets have saved me yeah, big time that's uh, what I especially think. in the desert and stuff you know you're yeah. just pouring out sweat so you know i i would usually have like a court that's just dedicated to that electrolyte tablet and Same. uh yeah i'd have a couple of those a day yeah <laughs> for sure same man it really makes a difference you can and you know experts and everybody knows that my you know, my background is health and performance but you're losing electrolytes along with the you know fluid just water alone so if you don't re mm -hmm. replenish those electrolytes you, you can start locking up and still be have you know clear urine but you're yeah. still locking up a little bit had that happen on the saw one time and then yeah. uh so that then hot shotting and then smoke jumping and then district so i applied for missoula smoke jumpers i got the job i trained my butt off um and this was just this last spring uh and uh unfortunately washed out uh day one uh in first phase in the physical phase i was uh doing the line dig and my body cramped up i couldn't keep my electrolytes or food down because i had hurled it up during the first two workouts oh, before geez, you get, get to do the you yeah. know i don't want to give too much away but there's it's not too secretive anymore no, like you know you're in for it when you go when you go do it as you know so yeah. you know and and it was a it was a very eye-opening experience because i you know i wasn't a slouch like there was there's things i definitely would have trained differently if i were to try again for something like that um you know, I was running seven and a half minute miles, uh, up to seven, eight miles. Um, I, I could run, I could, I was doing pretty good calisthenics, you know? Yeah. Um, that's a good time. But yeah. And, and like, you know, there, I could have even improved on that a little bit or, or done some gnarlier runs, but like I, I would have trained differently. And also in the, in the, uh, the phase, you know, the days right before day one, I would have probably just carb loaded and like yeah. eating a lot more but that's it's not really in my character i kind of i i'm i'm kind of a light eater i'm, I'm generally um a little bit lighter for my height you know i'm six one, but i'm only 150 to 160 pounds and yeah. and i just i don't like to feel too full and i like eat what i need to and that's about it but like when you're training like that you got to really pack on the pack on the calories and the protein and all that and so i probably would have done more of that in the before but you know it was a good experience i'm glad i even got the opportunity they yeah. the, the way they run that program there is very professional it's very tight 
they put a lot of time into the smoke jumper training regimen and i do respect them for that yeah no and I, I was just gonna say like not to cut you off but oh, uh, if, if you went on to something else my brain would have went somewhere else but uh like talking about that the calor the caloric intake and those calories up um luckily i don't know how i thought about about it, but one, of, one of my best buddies he was working in mccall at the same time and we were mm-hmm. just talking about like having a squirrel stash because kind of same deal man i'm more of a grazer like not a big meal oh, guy. yeah so no, like, i had pocket snacks for sure yeah but it was just uh it just wasn't enough and and you know between the cramping up and there was a mental aspect too like i i dipped out for a second when i was uh they took me off the dig they're like you're worthless right now just go swamp yeah. and i i would i went and swamped and uh uh was with the saw for a minute and i uh, I took like a second to go into the woods and I just was like looking at the sky and I was like, you know what? I wanted this, but you got to really want it. You got like, you got to want it more than your next breath. And I've felt that way about certain things in my life. And so I use that as a comparison. Like when I wanted to play bass in music school and I wanted to play bass for these bands and stuff, like I, I was practicing like 11 to 12 hours a day sometimes. Like yeah. I was putting my heart and soul in that. I've never worked harder than I did in music school. And so I thought of that and I knew what that felt like. And I'm like, you know, cause who doesn't want to be a jumper, but like, you got to really, really want it and you want to get through that. And so I had a moment there when I was sitting there and I was like, you know what? I don't even know if I want to jump. I don't even know if I want to be in fire anymore, but you know what? Let's see, like, let's just like, let's see how this pans out. And then that's when my body cramped up. And so, so, you know, it goes back to the, what they say is like, your mind is going to quit way before your body is. My body probably could have kept going a little bit longer, you know. There, yeah. There's there that limit is so much further. And I've pushed that limit before with the hot shots, but it was one of those things where I realized that, you know, and, and you know, I I washed, I I get off the hill. It was like 10 at night or something. I I go got I went and got like Taco Johns in Missoula and I went home just so sore and I I woke up and I was so sore when I woke up. I could Bare, like I felt like I could barely get out of bed and I looked at the clock and I'm like they're still digging <laughs> you know yeah, they're still yeah. they're still digging man yeah. and I and I'm just like oh, that takes a certain kind of human and the person that washed after me apparently was hospitalized so oh, you know geez. it's it's not yeah I know you've been through it like it's yeah. it's not it's no joke and it's it's what it's probably the hardest thing somebody could do outside of certain selection processes of the military yeah. it really is and I, so you got to be mentally and physically prepared for something like that I think so too because I was definitely towing the line and, and talking to a guy who um actually like was we were almost like stepping in the same shoes and he ended up pushing it more than I did mm-hmm. and he ended up getting uh heat exhaustion mm. and probably getting close to heat stroke i mean he's like one of the nicest guys on the planet and uh hopefully i'll have him on the podcast someday yeah and he uh yeah he was like starting to fight starting to try to fight the trainers and stuff man just having and and his experience was at ncsb before um before i came through like two years before or three years mm-hmm. so i think his experience unfortunately is the reason why i was able to make it through that first day because I was getting, I was going down the same rabbit hole that he was of just like dehydrated, cramping, and starting mm-hmm. to get down the heat exhaustion rabbit hole. And it was, you know, like he had, he had the same kind of deal. It was like, usually it's in spring, you know, it's cooler temperatures, but it was like an unusually, unseasonably hot when I went through. I think it was the same thing mm-hmm. with him too. So this was down in California. No, in, in Washington. Oh, at, in Washington. At, yeah. At, oh, uh, wow. That's, yeah, that's interesting to think about hot temperatures there that time of year. Yeah. I was in the nineties, you know, and huh. yeah, and it, yeah, just, I mean, and it was on me too. Like I just wasn't hydrating like I should have. And, uh, yeah, I got, yeah. I got behind the curve and like, you know, that goes once you get behind the, the hydration curve, it's you're so done. hard to get back, man. Yeah. They had the stuff called uh Cerulite, which is like Pedialyte, but way 
way worse tasting. And uh, I drank, dude, I forced that down and, and Pedialyte and water and was mixing it all. And I, I didn't sleep that night. I didn't sleep the next night barely because I was up peeing so much, but I was just trying to re- rehydrate and barely, yeah. barely made it is, is the moral of that story. Barely made it. But, uh, <laughs> hey, but, you make it, you make it, though. Uh, yeah, I guess. Well, you know. But, you know, it was a really humbling experience. I was glad to be able to um, – it, it put some things into perspective of me and what I valued. And That's what and, I was going to loop it back around to. You know? Yeah, and, you know, I got um, – I was kind of in – in between jobs, like Flathead was down to pick me up. They needed people, Flathead Hotshots, and um, but I had, you know, uh, jumped on with the guys who were burning out of the jump base there just to have some work. In the meantime, I was figuring out, and that's when I met you and yeah. was down there burning with the Steve I folks. And I just really liked the vibe of everyone. And there was just a, you know, I base a lot of where I work at. Um, I try to uh, based off the. The attitude of people and the, and the positivity that's why i got on flathead hot shots because everybody was like you know lynn is the best boss ever you know lynn, lynn emmerich like yeah. shout out to her she's one of the best bosses i've ever had just amazing incredibly professional person who has done you know so much for the aviation community absolutely in, in fire and and so uh you know i i'd heard a lot about her and the program she ran and i was not disappointed it exceeded my expectations and that's i awesome. would have probably stayed on there an extra year but you know she retired and i knew things would get switched up not that it's bad i'm sure it's a great program still but i knew it would get switched up but anyways yeah, i like to like. base where where i work off uh the vibe and the and the overall energy of the place and you know, I got that from Steve I, and, and it looked like they had uh, kind of rebuilt the program there. So, yeah, when I moved over there, I wasn't disappointed. And it was a really cool experience this summer because we had so many, as you know, first-year, second-year firefighters yeah. and and all these, you know, a lot of new people. Um, and it was, instead of being a part of this, like, elite uh, f- uh, firefighter and being, like, a, a rookie again on the bottom of the totem pole, it was like, well, now I could use a little bit of my experience and um, my leadership skills to line out these these rookies and, you know, because overhead's got their stuff going on. And, and you and me kind of talked about it one day where we're like, we're kind of those guys with the experience, but not the quals or the or the status to really like be overhead. But yeah. we're like, but we're like, we can be like those uh, those guys to like, hey, this is how things this is how you do this, this is how you do this without the engine captain or the AFMO or whoever, you know, telling them what to do. So so it was actually really um, rewarding. It was it was it was not what I was expecting this summer to be like, but yeah. Yeah, I, I was uh, very humbled and, and glad to be there. And uh, yeah, it was, it was the it was the right situation, actually. And it, it kind of brings me back to that. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about my my roommate told me this story the other day because I was in in the dumps and he's he's like what is good and I'm like what do you mean and he's like well you think something bad happens to you and it might be something good so he told me this little story about this guy who uh got his uh horse his his horse ran away his prized horse he had a couple horses but his prized horse got away and he never found it and um his neighbor and he you know he felt in the dumps about it and then his uh, neighbor uh, gave him three horses for it, uh, for for what happened to him. So you so you never know what is good. And then a couple weeks later, to the same man, uh, his son broke his leg, and his son was like, I, "I my whole summer's ruined, you know, this and that." And and then there's a war draft, and he didn't get drafted because his broken leg. So you never know what's good or what's bad, and and, and things will always work out in your favor. Absolutely. Um, and, and you know, part of the biggest thing about this was I obviously felt really terrible uh when i washed out of jumper training especially as early on as i did especially as how confident i felt and 
but I didn't allow myself to like be a bummer about it. And dwell I, on it. Yeah, I just was like, find a new mission. Yeah, exactly. What's the new mission? New okay, mission. find a yeah. job. Uh, find the next crew I'm going to be on. And, you know, on the Hot Shots, we always used to talk shit on the district folks. We'd, we'd call them district fucks. Uh, but, <laughs> but, but you know Deuces what? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but you know what? Like, it was, it was cool to be on another, uh, a different type of... Um, a different type of resource uh, in a different context, yeah. learn that perspective. You know, I have more respect for that now, just like I had more respect for Hell Attack after being on them. I'm like, you know, oh, I'm sitting on the hill and I didn't get my lunch till four o'clock because the helicopter took that long to fly it up here. And it's like, but then you realize the logistics of aviation. You're like, okay, like, you, yeah. you, you got to realize like, this is what they're doing. You can't just fly a helicopter around like you can drive a truck up. It's not the same thing. Yeah. Um, Absolutely, so, man. so anyways, I had a lot more respect for that. And um, yeah, you know, it was a really good experience this summer. And I got some awesome opportunities. As you know, you were dispatched during a couple of my IAs. Yeah, I got a couple, couple IAs. I went down to Red Lodge and got to uh, do a little uh, fill assignment on a hell attack crew there and um i met a girl actually in town while i was there and uh, we're still dating <laughs> that's awesome, so man. you know that's kind of you know like i said you never know what's what's good or what's bad like it, it all worked out i probably never would have met her if it wasn't for uh for this uh that type of assignment absolutely and stuff, dude so. and if and you just focus on the bad man it would just mm-hmm. keep spiraling down but instead you just look forward and like you said new mission new goal you mm-hmm. know and just like keep keep moving forward no matter what it is you know and that's what you have to do yeah and you, you know there's better leaders and better quotes than I can go up with off my top of my head right now. But yeah, like just moving forward, I think that's how you get stuff done. You know? and, and this is a good time to mention, like I am no kind of badass or anything. Like uh, my first year on Bitterroot, uh, I was a troublemaker. Uh, you know, you talk to a few people on the Bitterroot, they'll, they'll tell you, like I had, I had my moments and I wanted to be on a saw super bad. And, yeah, yeah. and like I was on a saw in uh, on Mount Taylor and, um, and, and, you know, and Mount Taylor wasn't tank for tank. I, I had to earn my place as third saw by the end of the season. I was swamping all year. Oh, jeez. And so, and so it, but it, it's a good learning experience, and that was humbling, too. But, like, you know, I got to Bitterroot, and I and I felt like, oh, you know, I deserve to be on a saw. Yeah, now, region, now that I'm a saw. Three guy, but yeah. to Bitterroot, they're like, you're just another rookie, you yeah, know? And which is So they knew I wanted to be a saw. I became a little bit of a troublemaker. I, I had my moments, and then, you know, but – once again, what is good, you know, I wanted to be on a saw, but because I wasn't on a saw and because, you know, I had the endurance, they would always put me on a torch in like 2017. All we did was burn. It was so busy in Montana that year. All yeah. we did was burn and I was on a torch every night or every day and I was just burning, 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 burning. So, and you know, and that's super fun, but it takes a certain person, you know, to be able to carry that torch for hours and hours and hours and crossing hillsides and walking through spider webs and stuff. So yeah. it, it was, it was a blessing in that sense because I really got to, um, see fire behavior from that perspective and, um, put me in a different role. You know, I feel like every crew's got that guy that's like, oh man, he's a troublemaker. Like the, the assistant soup hates him, but you know, all he does is burn. <laughs> it's, yeah, like, exactly. it's like, because he's a masochist and he yeah. can just walk all night and like never yeah. complain. I was going to say, suck it, smoke or whatever. Got a workhorse, you know, my little trouble. trouble yeah, yeah. But I, busy. but I came back in 2017. It was my, kind of my redemption year. And then 2018, I got my FFT1 and, and that felt cool, you know, and some people are like, wow, it took you six seasons to get your FFT1. But I think that's a very um, underrated qual. I think some people get it after two, three seasons. I don't necessarily agree with that. Yeah. You know, I, I think you should be able to not just 
be able to run a squad but run a crew i mean that's what crew boss is for obviously but you know how we ran it was you know there were some days where if you're ff21 trainee you run the whole crew or you, or you run a firing operation and then you know you get done with the firing up and then you switch roles to something else maybe you talk to the homeowners of a, of a house you're about to burn off of and, and i got to do all those things so it was a it was a rewarding experience i was glad they gave that to me and i was able to earn my place back on the crew that. dude that's a great experience well and that's like i was picking your brain when you were still like with the jumpers but kind of in limbo of where you're gonna end up and you weren't like you said i think you were saying at that point you, you weren't sure if you're gonna stay in fire and kind of looking for maybe something else and yeah so like when we got to talking on the hillside and I think I was just fuel muling it that day, so I got a chance to hold time with you a bunch. You were hiking up some fivers around. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, man. <laughs> Trying to prove myself still, and I'm 35. Yeah, well, th- and that's the thing. There's always a new threshold, you know, and there's always there's always something else. That's why I have this uh, – I have a bald-faced hornet tattooed on my wrist because uh, one time I was on a fire, and we were getting stung up by yellow jackets right and left, like is Idaho. I don't know why the bees love Idaho. They're oh, everywhere yeah. in Idaho. And, and uh, I was cutting down a snag – uh, this was on Mount Taylor, and um, this the snag had a had a hive in it, oh, and no. it was stinging my neck and face and ear. I I remember I felt one of them on my earlobe stinging me, but I'm I'm not gonna. I was going in my back cut. You know, I'm not gonna quit. Like, yeah. I, gotta, I gotta get this. And it was a candlestick, so I gotta oh. make sure to get this thing on the ground. Yeah, you're committed, and not much mm-hmm. time to work exactly. with at that point. Exactly. It totally committed. So I got it on the ground, and Sawboss saw what happened. He's like, "You guys take lunch. You know, like have your ten minute." supposed to be half hour long yeah, yeah, exactly. we sat down and had our ham sandwich and lays and this yellow jacket latched onto my ham on the ham sandwich uh <laughs> right when i was taking a bite and stung me in the gum right where oh, the man. right where the gum meets the tooth actually yeah. <laughs> just so my head's just like you know and i'm all angry and all head full of poison and i i see this yellow jacket fly through the air and this bald faced hornet comes out of nowhere and latches onto it rips its head off and starts eating out of its body as it flies away hmm. and it and it was symbolic instantly in that moment i realized the lesson and it was like there's always something bigger and better than you out there and you not, need to not compare yourself to that but compare yourself to your former former self you know yeah. how do i become the bald-faced hornet yeah. and then be, grow beyond this yellow jacket so trying it's symbolic to, for me you know like, yeah i'm trying to be better every day and it sounds like you mm-hmm. got a spirit animal in that experience too. yeah it is kind of my spirit <laughs> and like most firefighters are like why do you have a bald-faced hornet that is the worst they are they hate them and i'm like i've never been stung one time i saved a queen bald-faced hornet too i thought it was a hummingbird oh really it's it, big, was, huh? oh, man, Jeez, it was so dude. i went to Just get my monster. camera I went to get my camera it was when i lived in whitefish on the beach at one point i had this like little japanese garden outside my house and i came outside and yeah i thought it was a hummingbird it was this like three and a half inch bald face hornet and and she was in in trouble it's just like tangled up on this thing and like let her go and i was like holy cow i'm never gonna mess with that thing again so yeah it's kind of my little spirit animal experience but yeah sounds like word got around with the bald faces man (laughs) yeah but this the symbolism with that is you know there's something bigger out there and bigger and better and 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 you uh and you gotta be humble about that. And so yeah, that's a, that's a great great approach, man. A great great way to live life too. Um, and that's yeah, like just talking on the line, you know, and and you're all this experience. What three different hotshot crews? Is that what you got? Uh, two. I was two. on Mount Taylor, and then and then Bitterroot. Yeah. And then Bitterroot. Oh, gotcha. And then Flathead was a hill attack. Yeah, yeah. I took I actually took a year off too. Uh, it's worth mentioning. I took 2019 off, which was funny because the only things burning in 2019 apparently were Alaska and the Amazon. 
A lot of people yeah. didn't get a ton of hours that year. Some people did. I talked to the shots, and they said they actually did a pretty good season. They they moved around enough and were on the rotation, right? But, uh, yeah, it was a good year to take off. I, I, I needed it. I needed it for my mental health. After three years on the shots, I, I had some my own – my own demons I needed to work work on. Um, oh, yeah, because yeah. 2018 was kind of crazy. Uh, uh, yeah, just it was there was there was just some things that happened that were just kind of like, you know, kind of a little bit of a, a, a mind, you know, mind fuck. So yeah, had, had to grow beyond that. And I think taking a year off was smart. I wanted to publish my book, which I ended up getting my first book published. We still got to talk about that. Yeah, yeah. we'll, we'll oh. get into the trilogy here yeah. in a little bit. But, uh, yeah, I got the first book of my trilogy published. and um, Congratulations. Thanks. That's yeah. huge, man. And, uh, yeah, I worked at a local restaurant with one of my best friends, um, and he, he was the kitchen manager. So we uh, we slung, we slung burgers all, all summer and, and had, went fishing and oh, I finally got to kind of enjoy a – went to a music festival, hadn't done that in a while, you know. So I got yeah. to do some summer things. And That's awesome. So it was man. good to take a year off, and I recommend anybody who's done fire for five, six years and is maybe feeling a little bit burnt out, like, you know, take a year off. Like, if any employer is like, oh, we looked down on you because you took a year off, like, you probably there's going to be other things that come up too like they should respect that i think it's good to do that you know yeah yeah cindy cindy champion actually recommended that my second year smoke jumping in west um mm-hmm. she was a smoke jumper out of west i think still might be and uh just awesome gal and she um she was talking to me she said when she first got her perm and back then it was still pretty hard to get a perm there's wasn't that many of them mm. she said she took either that fire season off or detail or something so mm-hmm. got just stepped away from fire for one year she said like like you said man way way better clearer head had more motivation to come back and fight fire and like appreciate the job again mm-hmm. had to look down to make sure i wasn't redlining on this <laughs> and uh yes yeah, so, uh, i mean I, I i had always thought about that and then actually weirdly enough i took 2019 off not really by choice but by health reasons yeah my crohn's was acting up really bad right. and then um so it, it definitely did help because I was like, you know what, you know, and I was pursuing physical therapy and which I still think is a great profession. It's just, uh, you know, I still was like the, the outdoors was calling, you know, that's why I got there in the first place was like to be outside and. You, know, but you wanted to do it on your own terms without that radio in your ear and yeah. ships overhead and all yeah, that stuff. It's yeah. a little different. So. Totally, man. And yeah, it kind of brought me back. But yeah. Uh, and then, so yeah, like just to wrap up the Steve I and the fire part of your career, um, you know, just just the summer that I got to, and I think this happens not only to you, but to a lot of people when they're in rookie training, is there's some quiet time, and I think that's designed because <laughs> then you get to be in your own head mm-hmm. without without the cadre being on you, you know, any of the trainers or any of your fellow rookies, and then you get a chance to, like, really do some inner soul-searching. You're like, And yeah. I don't think it's a tough thing when a few of these folks, like yourself, and one of my other really good buddies, Tyler, um, Wash, it's, like, more of a thing, like, is this really what I want to do with my life? You know, you get a chance to like kind of do a little more introspection on on uh, where your career is going and stuff, and like yeah, because as you know, um, a lot of those times you get a second chance at like, hey, if you want to come back next year, a couple yeah. of the jumpers were like, hey, man, yeah, it's you know those first couple of weeks are really taxing, like, you know, come back and try again, and you know it made me think a lot, and um, I think if I did go for something like that, uh, I'd probably go repel this point yeah, I, yeah. I really like working with helicopters I'm, I'm going for hell attack right now yeah. uh, a different hell attack crew and and so I'm you know it's it's one of those things that, like you said it's it'll it'll kind of put that in perspective and see what you what you want to do but it, you know that that elite status is you know and, and being a part of like it, it it's an IA resource right like yeah. there's a there's a there's a point to it like yes there's history and there's there's clout and there's all this stuff but the, the point of these resources is is like 
you know, like with jumpers, it's, you know, it's speed, it's depth, it's the ability to get to, uh, you know, a hard, hard spot to get to quickly and, and get competent people on the ground. Yeah, you know? yeah. And I like that aspect. I like doing IA type stuff. You know, obviously, uh, Hot Shots is more like um, Big Fire and you're mm. more doing like these burn operations. So, and it, not yeah. to say that they don't do IA too, but the, all these resources, they exist for a reason, you know, and, and, and so finding out kind of like what your niche is and where you fit into is part of that. That's and, what I think and not letting your it. ego decide that, but like yeah. letting your subconscious decide that rather. Totally, yeah. And like, like you said, the ego part, and at least from my lens, is when you're going through rookie training, you get that chance to like, your ego is pretty well squashed at this point, you know, because you're so beat up and you're like, you know. That, it happens pretty quick. Yeah, it happens really quick, yeah. So you get a chance to like push that aside, not really by you, but by somebody else. And mm-hmm. then you get a chance to really think like, is this where, where I want to be? Like you were saying, man. And that's when when I tied into you in Steve I when we were doing that burn and got to talk to you. And we were talking like that middle management role that Steve I has. And I think a lot of districts do. And it's like your title isn't anything important you're still seasonal but like with the experience you kind of get pushed into a role where it's like hey man you know the foreman's tied up or everybody's tied up like can you take these guys out in the field and show them something and you got enough experience like being on the hotshot crew two hotshot crews hell attack contract like so you can you can take a crew out and get some meaningful work done you know mm-hmm. versus like if the engine foreman's doing whatever might might our engine captain sorry these days i keep forgetting it's captain now um, you know, it's tied up doing whatever in the office. It's like no big deal. You can lead PT, you can lead the project work, and right. then you get the folks in the field and out of the field safely, and people can trust you. And I was like, I knew we needed that, and that's why, you mm-hmm. know, not to. Yeah, it's it, and it's valuable to have those different uh, levels, right? Absolutely. Like, like if, if uh, like I actually was, um, you know, it was great to have you as dispatch last year. But I was kind of bummed because I was like, oh, man, I wish Luke was around more to, like, be my, like, right-hand man with a lot of this stuff because it would be perfect, you know, one per mod or whatever. So, yeah, because that's kind of how we started out. and then Yeah, but, it, but it, it still worked out great. People were awesome. For the most part, there was really good attitudes and people wanted to learn. And it's it really helps when people are receptive like that and, like, wanting to do stuff. Yeah, so. we had a really good crew this year, like, filled with that. Yeah, yeah, and, it really was. Yeah, so – just want to tie that all together and kind of how we met and then mm-hmm. um and then we i mean dude like with your with your uh books i, I was just gonna say like your artistry background like just being an artist like music art author and just kind of the adventurer you are it's like right away i was already vibing with you and i was like man like you know that's when i started picking your brain about other stuff and, and mm-hmm. talking about this podcast that was still barely yeah, we talked about point. a lot of the the points that you wanted yeah, to Yeah, and I was like, I need this guy around. So, like, that's when I was really trying to sell the program of Steve idea. Uh, but I was saying that to lead into this, uh, your books. So when, when did you write your first book? So uh, I wrote a book in 2011 called Mark of the Beast, and it was terrible. But I So I was working at my local ski resort. I had gotten sick, and so they put me in, like, the – on the chairlift, I was a lift operator. They put me in the chairlift that was like the rich local homeowners, oh. and you'd literally like take them up the lift and shut the lift off until the next person. You'd get like oh, 10 wow. to 15 people a day. Yeah. So you're like alone in this little thing. And so I'd bring my computer, I'd watch Westerns, and when I got done watching all my Westerns, uh, I don't know, that's just like a pastime thing I do in the winter. I don't know what it is, but <laughs> I watched all my Westerns. And I, I've always been a writer, like, not nearly as passionate about it as music, but uh, I wrote poetry a lot in high school. I won a, a couple local awards for my poems. And, no big uh, deal? N- well, th- That's it awesome. wasn't really. I mean, I, I liked it, and it was fun. Uh, 
you know, to like express myself through these words. You know, I, I'm I'm a big reader, but you know, I don't I don't read what I probably am supposed to. But like all all I read now is like uh, biographical military operator books and stuff like that, yeah. autobiog- uh, autobiographies and stuff like that. But feed the it, brain either way. Yeah, and but. Uh, I started writing this short story in 2011 in this little shack in the mountains, and it turned into a book. And then I, you know, I spent like 2011, 2012 going into 2013 writing it. And then one day in like spring 2013, about the time I almost joined Fire, I, I was like, this is just the worst. And I, <laughs> I, I deleted every form of it I oh, think no. that exists. I, I really hope it's not out there. I don't think it is. There might be like on my old computer some file deep down, you know, in so one the beast of the is folders. Gone? Mark of the Beast is just, Mark of the Beast. Yeah, is it's. <laughs> I I really hope it is. But I took the concept, uh, and I and after my first, it was actually after my first fire season. I was like, ah, oh, there's something to be. I took the first chapter basically of of Mark of the Beast, and I was like, there's something to be said about this though, because I I wanted to convey this story of Mother Nature if mother nature was this actual living person that was also an entity for, you know uh as a not just a voice but um but also uh, an ex- an extension uh, or an accentuation rather of the earth and when i saw uh one of my first fires i was on uh and i saw the the various um uh elements react you know you have the fire burning up the 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 greenery, you know, the trees and, and the brush and stuff, and then you have the, you have the the earth, and you have the water from the buckets or the engines, and then you have the metal from the tools, of, and then you have the human element, and you have all these elements um, kind of coming together in a in a strangely symbiotic way. Like there is a balancing act of it, yeah. And it's um, and I just I was like, how do I put this into uh, a, a single single person and what would they be like and and so I had this idea of um, kind of making this mother earth character as the main character of this story rather than this guy like in, in Mark of the Beast it's about this 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 uh, male you know who uh, is this ex-military operator and does all these things and, and that's how book one of my series is too but he transfers that power to his wife and that's and she carries the trilogy and oh. and and so i wanted her to i wanted her to be the main character and kind of um you know be that uh, living embodiment of a forest fire or a monsoon or whatever it is you know and yeah. and what she would say if earth was a person if earth could if earth could talk what would she say now and i think with climate change and everything going on right now like we need that voice and and people aren't listening to <laughs> what the actual earth is saying so what if that was a person and then make her you know angry and uh hired by the u.s to be a military operator uh, as like this pseudo witch person that can like do crazy things like manipulate the weather or organisms. She can copy DNA of a, you know, from mint leaf to bubonic plague into her body and and put it out into the world. So I wanted to embody that. And so that's, that's how I created my trilogy. And it was inspired by fire and it was inspired by the things I was seeing, not just the fire itself, but just the other things I was seeing in nature, uh, on those assignments because you you see more than fire when you're spiked out in the woods all the time you know you 
you see wild animals. I've been uh, stalked by a mountain lion at night, spiked out. Like there's all sorts of stuff that happens. And yeah. uh, so I wrote this trilogy in, bet- in between each season. I think uh, in, in my off seasons, that's what I spent my time doing. I mean, I've spent easily 5,000 hours on this trilogy between, Dang. yeah, between 2013 and 20. 2015 I wrote book one between 2015 and 2017 I wrote book two and then between 2017 and 2019 I I wrote book three and I finished I actually finished book three in 20 late 2018 is Jeez, when I finished man. book three but I've, I've done some so a little bit of a manipulating of it uh, yeah. in the last because book three is pretty big it's actually my biggest oh one, really so yeah man, I'm, I meant to have you bring a copy of one of them and I, I oh totally, yeah totally no no worries uh yeah I um but yeah, book one is out and book two is out. It's called the Winds of the Immortals trilogy. Book one is Winds of the Immortals. Book two is called A Lattice Work Shrine, and they all all three books take place in three different time periods: uh, the 2030s, the 2050s, and the 2090s. Oh, so futuristic moving forward. Yeah, so so that's been my big big project, and music got put on the back burner that whole time. But I'm still still into music. I'm still I'm I'm playing guitar instead of bass now. And uh, and that's that's something I've been trying to focus more on in off seasons as well. Oh, that's awesome, man! And music, you know, to me is just uh, <coughs> such a a big part of of the wildland scene. It seems like I mean, like all the musicians we had just on the district this year, and whenever you're driving somewhere, it's you listen to music typically. Now podcasts because podcasts have really mm-hmm. come come around in the last like five six years, however long Joe Rogan's been out, really, you know. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah props to him and uh <laughs> yeah man so I, th- I think it's just a, a almost like a therapy sometimes with with wildland folks if, oh would yeah. you say that oh yeah absolutely um music especially i mean i just i go into my own world but you know writing is also a lot like that like i can I, when i write like i'm escaping into this this fantasy this this world that i've created and i kind of get to like live there and you know, you'll read the trilogy and be like, why would you want to be there? Because it's like a dystopian, you know, futuristic, uh, post-apocalyptic story. But it's, yeah. it is a way to escape and kind of uh, be a part of something else and, and discover things about yourself through that artistry as well. Yeah, absolutely. And also, like, um, I haven't read your books, but just from talking to you about it, it's, a, it's just a good way to think about things moving forward, too. You know, like, I, I know everyone's, uh, it seems like most people I know are, maybe it's just because we're forest service folks, but uh are you know thinking more green you know versus mm-hmm. like when we were kids and it felt like people were not as worried about it you know I, I know the gas crisis was a little bit before we were born but i mean that was kind of the first step in any kind of movement that way climate related it felt like you know mm-hmm. kind of like converters and all that good stuff were getting put on cars and yeah the world i was raised in and what i was taught um it's not relevant anymore I'm not I'm not even going to beat around the bush about it. I I mean the idea that like oh go to college and get a good job and this and that it's like now it's like you know uh, either be an investor or be in a trade school. I mean the, like there's yeah. there's only so many options for you now. I mean if you're going to because the 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 prices of things and how they've gone up in the last 10 20 years and how little wages have actually gone up. I mean um I just got a job this last week and they're like you know, like we're we're happy to have you, and you basically get to pick your schedule because we can't afford to lo- lose you. You know, Jeez. like we're at this point where like it's and and workers have um, 
workers have leverage and and you know that that is something i touch on in the trilogy as well on more of the political side of it is like you know having this middle class or lower class like having more leverage and and kind of being able to uh, or at least attempting to manipulate these more markets that were, you know, billionaires, uh, people that make, you know, uh, unfathomable amount of money who don't even pay taxes uh, decide what we do. And it's it's very frustrating. I think a lot of Americans on either end of the spectrum, because, as you know, like we're very divided right now, but yeah. there's people that are like frustrated and they're, they're mad at our government and they should be. And there's a lot of things that need to change. And even in our own culture, as you know, it's, it's changing pretty quick because they have to, you know, they're yeah. realizing like, you know, people can't afford a house in the place they're working. And, you know, if they've been in this industry for 10 plus years, they're not going to keep doing it if they can't even afford to live, you know, yeah, they're not going to keep renting, you know, if yeah, they've been in absolutely. it that long. So making it a lot harder to live where you want to live, especially like us living in Montana. Mm-hmm. It makes it uh, a lot more difficult, especially coming up. Um, you know, the new firefighters that we had this year is really good folks, but they weren't really younger. You know, like, did you notice that this year? They were, seemed like. A lot of like Arthur, I think, was one of our younger folks, and he'd been fighting fire for a long time, and he's local, so it's you know it's not like he's really saddled with a mortgage at this point in his life, being a younger fellow. But I mean, uh, most of the young folks don't seem like they're going into fire anymore, and that was a lot of the lifeblood for the seasonal fires. So yeah, it's gonna be interesting. Do you have that kind of in your book about uh, stuff like that changing? Yeah, a little bit. You know, uh, you're talking about the new the new book I'm writing. Or are oh. you talking about the trilogy? Well, I was kind of leading into that in the new book, but I also I was talking about the trilogy to see, like... Well, and the trilogy is more of a perspective of these, you know... <laughs> you, it's 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 a fantasy, sci-fi fantasy, and it's more in the perspective of these people on the world stage making these decisions. But, um, but yeah, you do get those perspectives of, uh, of, of, you know, of the the common folk and stuff. And, like, like even in... Um, you know, by the time you're in book three and it's the year 2120 and, you know, the world doesn't even look the same by that point. I won't get into detail, but it's crazy. And there's an old grave digger, um, this uh, character who's like a 90-year-old grave digger, and he talks about what he's seen in his life uh, and all the different phases and the different uh, governments he's seen and, you know, how each one said that they were going to bring promise and you know, wealth and all this, and it, it's just a different rhetoric, or it's the same rhetoric, but to a, to a different beat, and it it's just one of those things where he, he conveys to one of the main characters, you know, he's just this lowly, just poor grave digger, but he's able to um, extend his philosophy to one of the main characters who's this noble, because she's like, I don't know what to do, you know, humans are just so greedy and stupid and selfish, and and she's not a human. She's a, the next evolution of human. And oh, and, and 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 uh, he goes, well, do you? Is that what you think I am? Greedy, stupid, selfish? And he's, she's like, no, no, no. I just. He's like, well, what if I were to judge, you know, your race, uh, your, you know, the Homo aradia is what they're called. You know, we're Homo sapiens. They're Homo aradia. He's like, what if I was to judge judge your species based off w- what you are? You know world destructors and, and this and that so it's like no his his whole philosophy was you need to be what you are meant to be you know and we're not all meant to be you know you might not be a warrior you might not be a poet you might be you might like fit some niche uh that that is 
you know, just it's just who you are. It's like you know maybe maybe you're you're good with horses. Maybe maybe you're a driver. Maybe maybe you love being account an accountant. Yeah, you know maybe that numbers. is your maybe that like whatever it is that you do, be that and be that to the extent and and it took me a while f- to do this because i'm like ugh, i'm a bassist i'm a firefighter i'm like you know i'm this i'm that and i'm like but what am i really and i realized after a while i'm a storyteller like my grandfather you know um, yeah, yeah and, and, I, and i i was like and, and i'm not the best at it by any means and i don't even con- i barely consider myself a writer but the point is like i want to live a life that allows me to convey other people's stories not just mine so that makes me have to be a good listener and there's all these other things that flow into it so so i think a lot of the uh, message that i like to convey with my writing and with the, the trilogy is uh the, through these different characters is like what you know maybe this queen isn't a good warrior but she's a good diplomat maybe yeah. this maybe this person is a good uh teacher you know, but maybe not the best in the action of what they're doing. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and kind of what I get out of that is just like finding your strengths and using your strengths in mm-hmm. life, and not and not really making yourself into a mold or having someone else put you in the mold. Mm-hmm. And and kind of the the part I link into that is not that you were totally doing it, but kind of a little bit. It sounds like just from my interpretation of like you know the conversations we had, and you know I haven't known you that long, but the little bit I've known you is, you know, you were going to be a and I want to talk to touch on this earlier, but it looped back around. Uh, you were going to be a legacy jumper because your grandfather was a mm-hmm. jumper back in the day, and and then so you would have been the second generation jumper, right? Uh, yeah. Well, and it would have skipped a generation because, uh, you know. Oh yeah. N- nobody in my family fought fire besides him, but uh, but oh, yeah, really? he he fought fire from. I want to say forty nine to fifty five, oh, and gotcha. he was uh by the time he left, he was um the lead of the training department at Missoula Smoke Jumpers. And, um, and when he left there, he actually, because um, my grandpa, my, my grandpa is infinitely more interesting than I am, so I got to touch on him for a second. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I was he, hoping you would. Yeah, he, he, uh, he. Yeah, hey, and, and not to say anything from you, man. You're just a <laughs> No, man. Three I, books already? I, yeah. yeah, I don't know. Like, he, he's just, uh, he's a tough one to top. So he um, was, uh, did a jump for, um, one of the presidents, I want to say it was uh, Eisenhower. He jumped for Eisenhower, who was visiting Missoula. It was him and one other jumper. And the way he describes it, um, it was a very windy day. And they, it was like an exhibition kind of thing. And yeah. the other guy got uh, blown halfway to Hamilton, as he puts it. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and, and, uh, he, and he jumped for the president. He actually ended up kind of hurting himself on that jump. But he oh, ended up geez. talking to some of those politicians uh, later on. Yeah. And um, was, uh, you know, kind of like lightly talking smack on the Forest Service, some of their policies and how it needs to change. And and uh, Senator Lee Metcalf was listening to him at the time. And he's like, you know, I like you, George. I like your I like your attitude. Um, what would you think about coming working with me in uh, Washington, D.C.? We're writing up a little bill. It's to protect protect the forest and stuff. And so. Uh, he got his whole fam. He quit working for the Forest Service. He got his whole family. Uh, I think my mom was like one years old, maybe two years old at the time, and she had her older brother. And uh, they moved to um, Washington D.C. And my grandpa helped uh, John F. Kennedy and Senator Lee Metcalf 
of Montana um, and a array of other folks write the Wilderness Act that ended up getting passed by Lyndon B. Johnson years later. No big deal. So he's one of the people that is uh, the reason we have wilderness and uh, wanted to uh, um, especially protect the Bob. He was he was instrumental in uh, getting the Bob Marshall Wilderness and the Great Bear Wilderness protected. So man, one of the most beautiful places, in my opinion, on Earth. Yeah. You know, especially yeah. the Bob. I haven't been to the Great Bear, but the Bob is sacred to me. You know. Yeah, my first time in that wilderness was actually 2019 um, on an assignment, and I was like, oh. I surprised it took me this long to get back here but know, it was but so epic man. our summers are so busy that's i think that's yeah. another thing that people don't understand when they see wildland firefighters like yeah we're in we're in usually a pretty cool spot like not so well, cool. you don't get a picket yeah we don't get a picket <laughs> yeah not so cool when you're there yeah and and we don't actually get to go to the place we like to go we're all outdoorsy but most yeah. of them are so busy you're not exactly fire. camping on your own terms yeah <laughs> and uh what was your grandfather's name again george, george ostrom george yeah ostrom. he's 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 locally he's somewhat locally famous in the fat uh in the flathead he was uh <clears throat> excuse me uh journalist and on the news there for 52 years i believe he's he just got off the air like five years ago oh really he was i've seen him then possibly i I mean well not on tv but he was on a a local radio station uh, giving the news yeah every morning like a lot of people recognize his voice and he's very very funny very much a character very much a public speaker and that and that's where like i'm i'm not on his level at all but like Uh, i think he's good man (laughs) he's he's a very fascinating human i mean that's just touching the iceberg and what he did he also followed around one of the last um indian cowboys who was a bull rider around the u.s um and told his story he's an art collector he has some amazing original uh art pieces uh from all over the u.s of different native american painters and various western artists he's been around the world i mean served in germany he, he was there uh, right after the war ended actually uh, oh, really? he was he was on the boat on the atlantic when uh hitler shot himself and he says it was because he hitler knew he was coming <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'd say the same thing yeah so but his stories of that are are pretty wild you know um yeah he's he's just a fascinating person so i i always wanted to follow in his footsteps and that was one of the main reasons i wanted to jump to but yeah absolutely, but just being yeah. a wildland firefighter i think now is enough for me i don't necessarily need to yeah. fill those exact shoes totally but, uh, man well and that's what i was kind of getting at about like you know kind of almost putting yourself into a mold that maybe it's like not mm-hmm. not meant for you like you would, and like you'd mentioned before that you know maybe you're not supposed to go this way but if, like college you know like mm-hmm. back when we were growing up college was where you went you know and, yep. and now it, I think people are starting to think more like me and you where it's like that's not that's not the only option you have you know right and also like jumping was so much different back then like i was like oh you did you got i told him like some of the training stuff we had to do you know and 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 what my mentor was telling me to do at the you know because you get your own mentor and all this and and he's like oh you know we'd no we'd just go to red's bar and see who needed to close their tab and like hire people <laughs> it's like oh you look at your tab and there's like over you know it was, oh that's more money than i thought i should probably get a real job and but like you know he was airborne he was army airborne oh, so transferring to that was a uh, pretty no-brainer for him he'd already done static line and stuff so uh yeah. it made sense for him but yeah it was it was a totally different world it was just a young man's job that they had back then and kind of you know it's just something something you did if if you had your summers in between school and 
and now it's like a, a career building, very elite. Like it's it's its own community, as you know. The jumper community is unlike any other in the fire world. Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, you know, a few of the older jumpers that were around, um, like the old uh, base manager when I first showed up to uh, Missoula, was saying that too. You know, when he first started, even and that's you know pretty recent. Mm-hmm. He, he was saying kind of same deal. It wasn't wasn't a career. It was more of a more of a job that paid the bills and was pretty fun and maybe helped you get through school or whatever whatever you're going in life but usually no one was sticking around even the base manager when he started told you not to he's like you know i I guess it's always been a kind of program that could always go away i don't Mm -hmm. know if that's so true now but i think that's kind of the the thought they had back then they got a good deal they're not going to give it up easy yeah absolutely (laughs) even if it makes sense to repel a lot more i mean i i I still see a use for them i think they'll always be around at least for paracargo and certain regions i think alaska and r4 will always have them but um maybe the others they'll eventually get phased out but i i don't know there's they got their they got their talents sunk in pretty deep into places so they're probably gonna keep it yeah (laughs) starting to use different aircraft i mean i can't i can't blame them i i mean uh, the year I was on Hell Attack, they beat us twice uh, to fires, and I was like, oh, "Man, we got up there quick." You know, you get on the, you can get on a helicopter and get in the air pretty quick, and that yeah. shit moves fast. And still, those those guys would beat us. And, oh man, well, you know, there's something to be said for that too. Yeah. And and so I, I respect him. I respect the program. I think I think there's definitely room for growth with other programs yeah. that I hope that they wouldn't necessarily try to stifle just because they think it's gonna, you know, like for example, I'm trying to get on Missoula Hell Attack right now and they've been be trying to be a rappel base for a while now. And I think that would be a really good stroke for them. I think uh, so both too. Both nationally man. and locally, mostly nationally. Uh, but you know, look who's next door. They're not gonna want you cutting in on their action. Yeah, yeah, totally. Makes <laughs> so, it tough. so I get it, but you know, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a reason for all these resources and you know, people are always gonna talk crap about certain things. I mean, there's people even like, oh, hot shots aren't worth a darn and all this. And it's like, you just haven't worked with the right crews and you haven't seen what they're really capable of necessarily. And you know, there, there's a reason we're all out there and, and there's, there's awesome people from a contract engine in Oregon to a jumper out of Missoula, to a repeller, to to any of these people that I've worked with and learned from, and that and that's the way to look at it. Yeah, know? absolutely, man. I think uh, you know, just some advice to anybody who might be listening. This, hopefully, some people listening to this in the wildland and outside, and maybe mm-hmm. just in your general life. That first impression, I know that it means a lot, but when you're on the wildland fire, you know, on the line or whatever you might be doing uh, in life. If you get if you judge that person off their fir- off your first impression, it might be a, a wrong impression. It might be the wrong judgment of that person because mm-hmm. you never know. And I've had that a lot in wildland where someone's like day thirteen or maybe in the middle of their tour. You know, like sometimes day seven can be kind of rough because you're like mm-hmm. you know over that hump in the double digits yet. You know you're halfway mm-hmm. through and been a rough assignment and, and you're just like hey how's it going man, and they're just like shrug you off. You know and you're like oh you know I just got superstarred by you know. Low, low hot shots or whoever, you know, and you're like, ah, F those guys, you know, but like then, you know, if you ever get a chance to time with them like off season or on a different fire, it's like, I'd at least, you know, recommend giving another shot. Like either that person, don't let that person ruin the crew or don't let that, that one experience ruin you, that person for you. Cause who knows what they're going through on that day, you know? So that, yeah, that always bothered me when people try to act so, so important or so cool on a fire and like because they're not like yeah. if you're acting like that like you're, you're just you know you're you're boasting you're letting your ego talk for you it's like when i met you like 
you were like super cool, like willing to help out like a first year firefighter with like something that was maybe really simple and like kind of dumb, but you're like, no, this, this is how you do it or whatever, but you're not going to like, you're not going to be, you know, uh, you know, mean a jerk about it or anything. And it, actually, you know, a really good example, um, other like you as well, but like, uh, those jumpers I came out there with yeah. these guys, like one of those guys has been jumping for 19 plus years. Like this guy's done crazy stuff. Like he's division, he's all these things, you know, Scott, and he's just, Scott Jones. Yeah. 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 He's he's the man. Yeah. You know, and <laughs> it was just like, just the kind of, the kind of like attitude him and a few of the other guys had when we were out there and not, not trying to be too cool or anything like, you know, if you've walked the walk like that, you're you're gonna be humble about it. You're gonna be pretty cool. And like some of the some of the attitudes you get out there, you know, yeah, I from some people, it's just like this is this isn't conducive to the mission. Yeah. So so what are you trying to accomplish? You know. Yeah, absolutely. And I think sometimes people just take stuff that's said just jokingly too serious. You know, like when I first got into jumping, this old retired smoke jumper's like, you know, there's two people in this world, right? And he's Reading guy, Region Five. I was like, uh, only two? He's like, yep. He's like, there's smoke jumpers and people who want to be smoke jumpers. Remember that. And I was like, this little rookie. And I was like, okay. You know? Yeah. But it was, it was hilarious. But if you heard that out of context, you might be like, oh, stuck up dickheads, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I think it's important, like, you guys coming out as the jumper mod to come help, like, Scott Jones, you know, like, as salty as ex- experience. I know salty means something to other people, but, like, just the salty guys and like he's got a ton of experience and a ton of salt built up over the years of hard work and just the nicest guy and not like the salty is in the other definition that people use all the time that you know isn't like mm-hmm. sour but he's like as salty as experienced and then Enrique was there and yeah. then um, really good dude yeah really good dude and did Hillary come out on that one she did yeah and Hillary you know she's first second year Third she's year, second year yeah I can't remember yeah she's in her first couple seasons I remember mm-hmm. and we're actually neighbors she's awesome you know mm, like nice and and uh really quiet you know and it's you know just having those folks come out and talk to the district folks i think really helps kind of bridge that gap because otherwise like uh, you know there might be a little bit of the uh rivalry sibling rivalry going on where you might get like oh these jumpers you know because you never talk to them you never get to know them so apparently back in the day the rivalry thing was way worse i've heard stories of old shot soups and stuff like chewing each other out like you step on my damn cup trench you know, and <laughs> yeah, all this I stuff bet. it's i think it's ch- i think the culture's changed a lot and it needs to you know yeah. like we we don't need that kind of that kind of stuff out there but you know there is there's a certain level of pride when you put in a piece of line and you don't want you don't want people messing with it or, or something and and like you know, there's something to be said for that, but there's also something to be said for, you know, I, I was uh, driving back home with those guys one day, and uh, I was like, yeah, I just feel like, you know, I could, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna be missing out on a lot, you know, because since I washed, and and he's like, he's like, man, we walk a thin razor line, you know, and you might have dodged a bullet, and then not long after he said that, a few weeks later, I found out one of my RBs got a. His, uh, he shattered his pelvis on his first jump ever. Oh, jeez, dude. And uh, I hope he's doing a lot better now. Um, I know he's it's still in the recovery progress, but it's uh, yeah. it's one of those things, you know, it's 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 a high-risk um, job, and, uh, you know, it just takes a certain person, and, and like I said, you got to want it. Yeah, it can be life-changing, like you said, and that's just probably But one, it's a dangerous little... job in general. Yes, you know? yeah. Yeah, all of, all of it, you know, all wildland, yeah. you know, all firefighting, not just wildland structure. All you could that. be on an engine and and uh, and and see some crazy stuff. And um, yeah, man, you know, uh, we were on a fire actually in Arizona this year. I was with two, you know, it's me, where which you know, 
I have some fire experience, but it's my first year on an engine. And so there's new things to learn about with that um, resource. And I'm with two rookies. One's a second year who's practically a first year with his experience. They didn't get a lot of uh, experience last year, um, yeah, a lot of time slow. on the line. And so I'm basically with two first years and my engine captain and we're like running and gunning on this fast moving fire through a subdivision in Arizona, you know, and you're like, and I'm like, I haven't even done much like that on the hot shots because you're, you're utilized differently. Right. Yeah. You know? So it was, uh, it was kind of like, uh, even the engine captain's like, all right, we got to change tactics and do this. And now, you know, you got to be like ready to ready to be like this. And, you know, one of the rookies is like, I don't think we really did good work back there. <laughs> it's, it's like, <laughs> well, that's sometimes the job, man. Like, you don't, you like, you go and you try something and maybe it works, maybe it doesn't, but we were safe. And that was yeah. the important part, you know, like, and it, and it got Western, you know, like literally Western. I'm standing on top of the engine on the radio while these two guys got the bladder bags going around this one house and the captain's going to talk to this, uh, po- you know, person freaking out at their house. And I'm watching this lady uh, ride her horse down the block to tell her grandma that the fire's coming. You know, like, you know, things aren't, uh, you know, things aren't static out there. Yeah. We, we deal with a very... Uh, fluent, uh, very, uh, you know, fluid. Yeah, yeah, fluid. Sorry, that's yeah. the right word. Uh, you know, it's it's changing environment. It's constantly changing, yep. and you're gonna do tactics that sometimes, you know, it's kind of like sometimes you'll be on the hill and you'll be like, this kind of seems futile. And by the time you realize that, maybe other people are, and you back off and you do something else, you know. But yeah. but having that voice too, and, and not being afraid, even if you're um, even if you're a rookie or new to this, and being like, you know what are we trying to accomplish and, and as a leader it's good to establish that leader's intent and uh, be able to convey any changes to that leader's intent too absolutely and, and, I, and I don't have a ton of experience with that but just the experience of seeing it in action um, I've noticed that is, uh, is huge yeah yeah and, and like you said and, and because it's so fluid and seeing like all right this mission is futile like you were saying and and it's not working out for us and you, your brain almost has to switch sometimes mm-hmm. where it's like, all right, we're not doing any good work here and we're putting ourselves at risk. And then you kind of go into more of a like survival mode where it's like, all right, me and my people and my engine, you know, are, are priority now, you know, like mm-hmm. we need to, we need to back off, reassess <laughs> and then see where we can re-engage somewhere and make exactly. sure with safety at the forefront, which it, it always is. But like, you know, when you're safe, and you know, when you're not safe when you, you know, even a first year can be like, this feels weird. You yeah. Know, like I, I don't hair, like this. The hairs on your neck kind of stand up and at least yep. vocalizing that and maybe yeah. somebody can reassure you or they, they agree and you pull back. And I, on that note, when we were in Arizona in that exact circumstance, this guy rolls up in the truck and does this. He's like, come off the truck, you know, and I, I jump down there and I'm, I'm tr- you know, I'm listening to like the IC and like all this stuff happening and, I, and yeah. I'm trying to hear him, but he's like, yeah, I got, um, 10,000 pounds of low explosives and uh, 20,000 pounds of high explosives on my property and the fire's heading toward it. And he's like, the low explosives, he's like, I'm more worried about. And they're in the garage. The high explosives were outside in a bin. Oh. Yeah, like, next to sagebrush, you know? (laughs) So it's like, uh, so by the time I told the engine captain and the engine captain told the IC, the IC was already aware, which is good. But we we pulled back away from that house, and and luckily the fire like uh, hung up on some like some dirt and like didn't like didn't jump into d- jump into the brush right there. But I mean, we all pulled back away from that property because I mean, 
and, and that's not apparently that's not a huge surprise for that part of the world like you have people with all that kind of stuff well it's like for mining that's and, say the mining area down uh, there you know the different kind of stuff i mean i don't know there's there's all sorts of kind of people so who yeah. knows what they have it for but Dude, yeah and that assignment i know exactly which thing. one you're talking about because that's mm-hmm. one that we came down and and uh, replaced you guys on and oh yeah yeah. Wasn't there a 117-degree day and you had no air conditioning in the engine? Yeah, so that fire had pretty much gone out, but they wanted us to, like, look over it, uh, just kind of be eyes on it with the IC4 there. They had transferred it to an IC4. And, oh, gotcha. And we were kind of looking over that hillside. But we're sitting there, and we would move the engine a little bit. So, you know, uh, so so that we're, yeah, so that we're, the sun is, you know, to our backs, but it's it's a 117-degree day, like, and you're just sitting there. Oh, uh, man. And, and the and the engine no AC and um, yeah so so you, dealing you know that's one thing about the job too is dealing with the boredom sometimes and like the lack of action yeah is, uh, is sometimes just as much or a greater struggle so when we switched out on you that one day it was like 110 I think and you guys had just drove down from uh, camp or yeah and yeah. we were low, lower in Phoenix so I think yeah. it was even hotter in oh Phoenix. I think it was yeah you guys were just like drenched <laughs> so we like... went out that night and it was like. <laughs> You know, we're having fun and having some drinks. It's like 1130 at night. I'm like, why won't it cool down? At least in Camp Verde, it kind of cooled down. Like, it's not even cooling down. Yeah, Phoenix is just that frying pan, man. It's hot. Those people are tough, man. Like, that's all I could think of. Like, geez, I can't. Tough or something. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe maybe for, yeah. Well, and I I knew a chef. I've done kitchen work a lot. And I knew a chef who was uh, lived in Arizona. And he said, you do one thing outside a day, you know, and be and he's like, you do it in the early morning or the late evening, and that's all you got the energy for. Yeah, I bet. I could, I could feel it. Because just driving up to Camp Verde. Camp Verde, am I saying that right? Yeah. Camp Verde? Yeah. Just driving up to Camp Verde on that first day, we were just like, it was, a, you know, 110 probably in the valley, 105 or whatever, 115 in the valley, 105 on the on the road. And, you know, and that thing's limping up that pass and just <laughs> melting into the seat. And you're like, I don't know how these guys did this for 14 days. Uh, yeah, I that mean, we, we limped through it. Yeah. Figuratively and literally. And literally, yeah, because <laughs> that thing was stuck in limp mode, only going like 50 miles an hour. Oh, uh, yeah, that was interesting. Baking. Yeah, and uh, for anyone who uh, may be watching this, hopefully a few folks, uh, the reason I keep checking my phone is because uh, Parker put together a really good outline for this podcast. I want to make sure I'm hitting. Yeah, we covered pretty all much, all we've covered highlights. quite a bit of stuff. I, I wanted to touch on some hazards, but it doesn't, we don't have to. Uh, we can skip a couple of them. There's actually I only want to hit on um, hit on a few of them, mostly like hazardous mentalities. Yeah. Oh, that's a that's a that's a good one. That's big. Yeah, we can hit on that a little bit. So like, um, going back to, you know, is it worth it? Or like, even better, you do a really awesome operation, right? Like maybe winds are favorable, weather's not weather's you know good in your favor. Uh, things just kind of line up and you got to ask yourself like were we good or were we lucky it's one of one of the leaders I've had said it that way and uh and I think that's something to to think about like remember burning this spring I remember looking at you at one point I was like these burns have gone like I don't want to like jinx it but relatively smooth you know and they're like good mortality rate for what the prescription is uh, not getting too smoked out as holders. There was a couple instances where they kind of did, but you know, just uh, really smooth burning operations between us and the shots. And and I was like, you know, like 
is this one of those instances where we lucky or were we good? And in a lot of cases, it's probably a little of both, you know, yeah. like, okay, we, we implemented the tactics, how they uh, appropriately and, and various things. But like, sometimes, you know, you got really favorable wins and sometimes you got really unfavorable wins. Like, okay, is this, is this the time we pull the trigger on this burn? Is this, or is this when I got to swallow my pride and say, it's not time to do this. And yeah. You know, different people have their different trigger points for things. And, you know, there's things that Jay would do on the hot shots that, like, maybe some other leaders aren't comfortable with. But that guy has a lot of experience, and he his slides are different than other people's. And I never felt unsafe with Jay. We would do some things that, like, were a little bit more Western, a little yeah. off the cuff, a little bit more cowboy. Yeah. And uh, it worked. And it was – they were good, aggressive tactics. It's, it's that, you know, it's that – um uh, firefighting order it's it's fight fire aggressively having provided for safety first and and we were about that you know we, we'll do things if, if we can be safe about it we're going to do it aggressively and, and yeah, we'll I get think, it done. yeah exactly but but even then you know um he he drew drew the right lines uh we had an instance um on myers fire uh, we left a fire near libby to go IA it I think it was reported at about 40 acres lightning strike and when we arrived it was like hailing and there was another lightning storm this was near Phillipsburg oh, uh, and we didn't initiate the first day and then uh, uh, we didn't we didn't attack it and the uh, but the next day we went up there took this huge uh, we had to, we had to go up this super long road on ATVs and UTVs to get up there. And then when we did get up there, you're in this like jackstrawed lodgepole, high mountain, just crappy terrain. Oof. And when uh, the soup and a few others were scouting it, uh, you know, he almost got hit with a snag that fell. And, you know, that was kind of like, we're not going to go direct on this. We looked at indirect options. There weren't any great ones, but we did, we worked with what we had and did some, you know, borderline silly things, but it was safe and it was safer than, uh, going direct and trying to prove something. Hey, we can put this 40 acre fire out. Yeah. Well, that fire grew to 87,000 acres that summer and we were on it three different rolls Jeez, man. and it brought in people from all over the nation. Yeah. And you know, that's a lot of ground. Um, and that's a lot of money and that's a lot in general, but, nobody died on that fire and as far as i know there weren't any major accidents i see, could be wrong about that see and, and like yeah exactly that and that's and that's huge man like whatever the cost is it's not the same as a life right you, money right. can always be made the timber is going to grow back yeah. you know the resources would be fine but that some it, people's hunting grounds got burned up there weren't any all the cabins we we did structure protection they were fine we prepped yeah. all those and that, that's a win man even though it doesn't seem yeah. like it especially the outside exactly. person looking but everyone survived you know everyone home and to their families that's that's a big deal and on that note like you know if you're californian you might not have this philosophy i understand because it's a much scarier situation but like fire is part of nature it is part of this community it it has existed for thousands of years and, and literally the the types of species that grow in these forests rely on it um, yeah. and the ecology of it so we need to stop seeing like fire as this enemy but we are at a point now with climate change and everything that's happening that 
it is a monstrosity that we can't we we have to adapt again and we're yeah. gonna have to adapt again and again and so like i was super anti-logging until just recently and now i'm like well <laughs> we have to now you know yeah. now there's going to be parts of the force that it just makes sense and and you're helping you know you're helping that industry but like you know it's the, the goal is not to clear cut but like we need to cut out some of these areas because it's just going to be nuked out it's just going to be it's going to be lost anyways the timber's going to be gone anyways you yeah. know if yeah if we had the right tactics from the beginning and learned from the native americans because native americans had had people yeah. that that were specifically trained to do burn operations for for generations they would be this information would be passed down and in the spring and the fall they would it'd be you know like they they'd burn everything because they know that the grass would grow back the animals would come and eat the fresh mushrooms and the fresh uh you know all the uh uh, flora that would come oh, up all the and, nice regrowth yeah exactly yeah. so we as westerners and as uh settlers you know fought this thing for so long now we're between this rock and a hard place and we have to continue adapting and you know maybe california has to have a different uh attack plan as the rest of the country yeah but the bottom line is like if we're gonna do this we have to do it as a community and we have to integrate um you know treating firefighters better and uh you know incorporating the public but you know i i say that with a grain of salt because you know l let's talk about like political smokes oh well we got the smokeway interior it's an eyesore yeah. but it we know that it's not going to do anything but, but you know and, it, and, it, and i get it if you're like somebody whose house has already got burned off of you're sick of seeing this fire and it's just there's still a puff up there you know, like, of course, that person's opinion is going to weigh on you as a leader. You you want them to sleep better at night. Yeah, but, absolutely. But putting people's lives in danger for something that has zero possibility of compromising suppression efforts is something I feel like we should get away from. Yeah, and I, yeah, and I think we do. But like you said, every big fire and every well, every fire nowadays seems like there's that has that pressure, outside pressure, mm -hmm. political pressure, and and. Uh, yeah. I've been on fires, and I'm sure you ever they they'll launch the ship or something like that. It's like yeah, just to you know appease the public and maybe even the news that might be there to show that we're putting in a good effort. And it's like um, that risk, you know, like the transfer of risk is yeah. getting at, you know. And, and like we were talking about a few days ago, keeping aviation in the air uh, just to keep your ship instead yeah. of you know actually needing it. Um, and like, do, do you really need to do a recon, or are you just trying to hold on to resources and you know, and I get it. Like, I, there's things that happen above me that I'm not completely, you know, uh, like I, I don't completely understand. I'm not at that level. So I, I get why they do the things they do. But we have to put these people's lives ahead of the mission, you know, ahead of these uh, suppression missions because it's it's only getting worse and it's only getting more intense. And um, yeah. it's easy to get tunnel vision and like fall into this role of like, we got to attack, attack, attack. It's like, maybe today we stand down. Yeah. We take a day to like, it shouldn't take a fatality to do a stand down necessarily. Maybe there's just, the, there's just, hey, we got this huge wind event. That's like, what look say. what just happened through the Southeast. Yeah. One of the biggest, for this time of year, broke records. There's never been a tornado event like that this time of year yeah. in the Southeast. And, you know, having, if, if, we, if we see these things happening, seeing these things develop, it's like, Hmm. We got like multiple cold fronts coming in today, like winds up to 65 miles an hour. Like maybe it's just an all around stand down day. Yeah. You know? Or maybe there's something we can do in the meantime that's safe. 
and I don't know, like, like I said, this is this is always uh, this is all bigger than me and, and higher up than I'll than I'll probably ever be. <laughs> Who knows? But like, but, it's but it's stuff that that like they they need to uh, realize. You know what what people are doing on the ground. With this yeah, stuff. I think most people are at least I would think a lot of people are, are open ears to new strategy tactics and ideas that mm-hmm. are safe because fire is changing. Like you said, like the these years that we've had. I mean, when I started in fire in 2008, it we had the fires of 2000, but really, I can't think of a good banner year besides like the Yellowstone fire in '88, was it? Yeah. And then before that, 1910. I mean, I don't really think there's a big fire. There's probably a decent fire year between there that I don't know about because it wasn't alive. But right, um, you had these big gaps in fire years, right? That were right. like these banner fire years, and now you don't have. It's having closer and closer and yeah. closer. Yeah. Yeah, it was like '88 is considered the the year we let fire loose, and it's funny because I've I've met a lot of leaders uh, in my fire career who started in '88. That was a very yeah. big year for a lot of people, and there that generation is all retiring right now. If you line up the years, this is, you know, we're at that we're at that mark where a lot of them are are done now and uh, and leaving, and so we're we're losing a big important generation of fire people who have seen it as its worst yeah and uh there's people in between that of course have with what's been going on but um you know every time you lose a a a pivotal generation like that you you can feel it you can feel it through like kind of reverberate through the fire world and I've, i've talked to some jumpers that have felt that too and uh in their community and it's it's like you're losing something big and and you're losing a lot of wisdom with that yeah absolutely man yeah well, shoot so. man i mean it's been a heck of a podcast uh you anything else you want to yeah maybe we'll just touch on a little bit of my new book i'm that's, writing uh, that's what i was gonna ask you yeah i think that's the last thing i really wanted to hit on so um this will be book number the, four yeah so the first two books of my trilogy are out book three's uh, 2024 2025 i'm not i'm not in a hurry to get that one out at it's, all it's already finished pretty much no? but yeah it's, it's finished and, and my views of nature and uh some of my experiences uh are are vicariously lived through some of those characters but uh the book i'm writing now is totally separate from the trilogy it's not a future fantasy post-apocalyptic novel it's nothing like that um it's a fictional a book about a wild and firefighting crew in the near future, but it's based on true stories I've had, um, maybe even a few I mentioned tonight. But uh, yeah. but it's I, I did it fiction because I wanted to talk about some stuff that um, is maybe a little bit of contentious subjects in this uh, in this industry and things that I felt like needed to be talked about. And they're not there's not necessarily. You know, there, there are going to be topics that are brought up that people are talking about now, whether it's climate change, higher pay, treating us better with benefits and all this. But it, it's not an anthem for that. It is just a summer on a hotshot crew and what that what that is like and, and how you can be wrung, wrung pretty dry, you know, and, and just wrung out and kind of just left to your own devices afterward. And, yeah. and, the, and the crew splits up and all these things. So I just wanted to... So, so kind of touching mental health a little bit of that. Yeah, that's that's definitely in there as well, of yeah. course. Uh, but but at the same time, I wanted to convey also like just the the mystical power of fire and how how much I really expect uh, respect fire itself, and and you know people see it as this bad thing or this evil thing, and it's like 
it is just as much of a vibe in this world as anything else. It is part of the process. It is, you know, just as much as the rain is, as much as the trees, as much as humans, as much as anything else. We're all in this together. We're all here, you know. Part of the weather we, pattern almost these days, you know. Mm-hmm. And we need to respect each element and what it's capable of and, and how we're going to adapt to that. So this, this new book is kind of about that. Uh, I would never try to put myself on the level of, of this writer, but I wanted to... Uh, kind of be I wanted it to kind of be this generations of the things they carried uh, that story um, yeah by a ah, the author's name is eluding me right now it's really bothering me it's the it was the number one book when I was born in 1990 uh, but it, it's it's a, f- a fictional story about Vietnam from somebody who had fought in Vietnam uh, you know to convey he wanted to convey his story through a uh, fictional through a fictional standpoint um but based off what he had said and 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 i think it conveys uh the vietnam experience uh very well Uh, let's see here yeah tim o'brien sorry tim Tim o'brien the things they carried uh yeah great book uh i wanted to kind of be like that but like of this new battle this new kind of world we're living in this climate change crisis this climate crisis and all these other things so you know it's about a hotshot crew who actually gets split up into three pieces um, over the summer. The region takes control of them, throws two two extra people on each squad and calls them a, a mod. And one of them gets put as part of a fast rope, uh, experimental fast rope program out of McCall. Oh, cool. And uh, the one, one of them, get, them gets sent to Alaska for like two months. <laughs> and then and then the one that um, the character that's based on me is on uh, just travels around the US, the continental U.S. and does the kind of things that I've already done, but it, it, it's just a little bit in the future. There's just a couple little different things like I've already mentioned. And um, that uh, the, the whole idea is just to kind of give the average person just a little bit of an insight into what it's like. Um, some of the poisonous mentalities, some of the, you know, some of the, the toxic leadership, but also some of the really good leadership and some of the really good things that people do um, for each other and just the kind of family that you have from a fire crew is just unparalleled. I've, I've never experienced anything like it. Yeah, absolutely, man. And and uh, and from what we talked about, because this was the same book you were talking about when we were helping Laura with the pack test, right? Where we were pack yeah. testing along with her. Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember I was really liking the the uh, excerpt. Excerpt is that the right oh, word that you were saying? About? You were yeah. Kind of telling me about it. Like yeah, I summary, think I wrote I a little. Of, I wrote a little blurb. Yeah. yeah. Summary or blurb, whatever. Y- yeah. Um, and uh, I remember thinking, and it was it was actually bringing back to my experiences, which I really liked, because you, you know you want a book that kind of also like you can relate to others. It feels like at least mm-hmm. that's the books I enjoy. And uh, and as you were talking to me about the book, I remember being on the Great Northern and with my buddy Charlie Palermo, and the first time I ever saw an Aero Press, and um, just I guess the first time I ever saw an Aero Press, first time I ever like really got the appreciation and the, and the bug for coffee, and kind of turned to <laughs> a, a bit of a coffee snob after that. Yeah, and I remember like. I was uh, just going and grabbing my little Insta coffee in in my cup, and uh, I could just hear like the grinder going. And uh, you know, it's Eastern Montana, early early morning. It's pretty cold. You know, the sun's not not up at all really, but just you know, you can see the light of the day starting, but the sun's not up. And uh, and then I hear you know, and then we fire the reactor up. The the stove we have was the MSR reactor, and I mean, like even just thinking about it and having you talk about, it, I can like I can put myself in that inversion of smoke that we're in everyone's eyes were kind of puffy 
and just the smell of coffee first thing in the morning and just like BSing with uh, my buddy Palermo and uh, another fella, Brian, who's on the other squad. He's just like chilling on the other side of the buggy and he's just like talking a little trash. And I think he's a jumper now too, man. And so like a few of us from that crew became jumpers, which is super cool. But mm. just like that experience comes like flashing in my brain when uh, just hearing you talk about your book, man. And uh, I think that's going to be going to be, uh, you know, a huge part of, of your book, I believe, you know, is yeah, and I wanted to write about something I know. You know, I'm, I I wrote the trilogy about, like, I did a ton of research for it, um, and I constantly constantly am reading about special forces from all over the globe and stuff to get that, like, military perspective, but I didn't serve myself, um, so I had to, like, talk to veterans and do all these things. But this is something yeah. I've done and experienced, and, and I'm, I'm not going to, like, you know, pat myself on the back and say, like, I'm some badass firefighter. Like, I'm, I've... I've met people in this job that are so, so sharp about uh, whatever specialty they, whether they're a saw boss or burn boss or, you know, uh, higher up in a team that are just dialed that would probably write this book better in a sense, but also I just like, I wanted to write it the way that I write. And I think that like people will uh like it because it's just it's very just raw and it's yeah. real and and that's why i changed the names and the fire names and the and everything because it's it's based off some true stories but i wanted to do it fiction so that i could explain it the way i wanted to explain it and you know and some people are going to be pissed off like there's th- there's absolutely going to be some uh, divisiveness to this and and i'm okay with that because it's um it needs it needs to be said uh i have a little uh I have a Facebook page. Uh, some people may have uh, stumbled on it in the fire world. It's called Day 14 Vibes. That is me. That is solely me. And uh, there's so, it's just a bunch of dumb fire memes. I mean, I have three uh, pages. One's an artist, uh, musical artist page. One's an author page. And one's that one. And, of course, the other two don't have any followers, hardly at all. But the meme page has, you know, thousands. And yeah. uh, and it, at first it was just this, like, uh, fun, you know, I'm just doing memes that people can uh, laugh about, just kind of to boost morale on the fire line, just stuff we were all talking about and what would be funny, you know. Um, yeah. But one day I wrote one, I wrote a paragraph, so it wasn't a meme. It wasn't just instant gratification. Like, it was this paragraph that was like, and I won't read it or, or – uh, say it you know uh, paraphrasing a bit but but people can find it right yeah it you could you could scroll down on day 14 vibes and you can see the comments too so it's something like you know if you haven't cut down 500 year old trees while swimming through white thorn in california and you know washing down convict catered food with hot gatorade and high on no sleep and seeing faces in the column because you're hallucinating like can you even say you've been a hot shot and like uh, you know it was kind of meant to be like half serious like oh that's kind of intense half like funny and, and uh uh this guy reached out to me on there and he said uh i took this and blew it up and put it on a poster board for, yeah. for a fast team and he was the deputy director of r5 Oh really? Wow. Yeah, that's big. And he's deal, like, man. keep awesome. and he's like, keep doing what you're doing, because because like the stuff about mental health and, you know, it's a, it's a it's a hot topic, but like people need to realize like, this is a very high stress job, and you don't have to see something traumatic. You don't have to see your buddy get hit by a snag or something to like deal with trauma. Like, 
you are expected to operate at a certain capacity at any given moment and that builds this level of uh you know stress and uh we have a suicide rate that is 30 times the national average uh six years ago it was 10 times the national average so um we we need to look out for each other um you know we need to we need to take care of each other and luckily i've i've been I've worked with some awesome people and stayed close to some awesome people that have helped me and I've helped them through some stuff. But like, you know, like take this season, for example, season ended, I didn't get that last role or two in that I wanted, you know, to get out, which was nobody's, you know, nobody's fault, at least on the lower end. And uh, just, I I ended up kind of broke at the end of season. And then uh, one of my best friends committed suicide and all this happened in a very short amount of time and I'm just left to my self and I'm, you know, I'm not working, I'm sitting there. I, I'm, you know, all these things come crashing down on you. And once again, it's like what we talked about when, you know, I watched out of jumpers, it's like you find a new mission yeah. and, you, and you focus on what matters and, and you push through and it, it hasn't been easy, but I've been lucky enough to have some really awesome firefighters in my life to, help me out and line me out I have a really great family and an awesome supportive girlfriend and so you know it's I feel fortunate but not everybody has that and their situation is unique and uh, we gotta we gotta keep that stuff in mind and take care of each other absolutely man I think that's an awesome way to end it and um, the only thing I wanted to add to that is um, you know like you having the voice for folks you know and, and speaking to them through the book you know like mm-hmm. like the way you, like we were just talking when you were talking about your book, it spoke to me in in, in my little way and, and brought me back to that experience that I had with with a bunch of fellow uh, wildlanders. And then um, also like it it reminded me of uh, the Lorax, you know, speak for the trees, you know. And I feel like there's a lot of people, yeah. you know, like talking for us these days. But back in the day, like, see when I first started, there wasn't the social media and all that to relay kind of what a wildland firefighter goes through. And I, I feel like it's finally getting tossed around in, in more of the political circles and mm-hmm. um you know you heard like uh i think it was a congresswoman uh from california talking about the the uh, gap in pay so i mean these are important issues and i'm, and I'm glad they're getting brought up and that's why I like your book and mm-hmm. and the day 14 vibes and all that stuff is is really important you know and like you don't have to like all of it man i mean even like this podcast like I expect people who might not like it and may yeah. not like all of it but i'm also trying to be a voice in my own little way too and hopefully yeah this will grow some legs and start start uh supporting itself and maybe leading into some more charities that 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 would be one of the things i'd like to to see happen in the next couple of years is you know 5ks and whatever i can do to absolutely to give back to the community because yeah i keep talking about the wildland firefighter firefighter foundation how much they do and i'd like to contribute as well but yeah i've been thinking of the same thing man and and trying to reach out and i think like a lot of these things are good starting points like this podcast just this you sitting down here with me in this empty uh you know u of m building right now is is huge and it and it means a lot to me and i think it'll mean a lot to other folks too and um you know and like i always think of like what can i do and i'm like well maybe me writing this book is like my my thing and so so the book is called the digging seed uh for those of you who are interested and um i'll be advertising that on my uh, social media parker j duncan um facebook instagram and that will probably be out, I'd like to say, within the next year or two. Um, it's not a huge book. It's probably going to be a more of a novella, 
you know, um, smaller, but, um, that's, that's the contrib- contribution for now that I would like to do until I can do more. Yeah. Yeah. Stepping stone, you know, just mm-hmm. baby steps with both of us and everybody in the community and all come together and hopefully not pick each other apart, you know, whether you yeah. like this podcast or like your book or whatever, you know, and come together and help support each other. And, you know, like when you came to Steve, I, Doug bought your book right away when he found <laughs> out you're an author, you know, just like he was pumped. Yeah, he was really <laughs> pumped, man. And like that, that was so contagious because he's like, let's, you know, help each other out. And, you know, like we all go to Wildland Firefighter Foundation charities when we can, fundraisers, you know, the breweries or wherever they might yeah. be. So yeah, that's, uh, that's a good deal, man. And hopefully uh, people watch this and hopefully people check out your book. And like you said, when your book comes out, The Digging Seed. Yes. Right. It'll be uh, you'll advertise it. And then I haven't released any episodes yet at this point, which I'm a little ashamed of. But fire season, <laughs> fire season would it's not end right. this it's year. It's all right. You're, you're building up that repertoire. Yeah. So <laughs> hopefully uh, today is December, December 19th. So yeah. hopefully four weeks from now, um, this will be out. And uh, yeah, uh, Parker's going to put it out on his social media. I'll have social yes, media sir. for this. And uh, please support if you can. And uh, I want to thank everybody for watching. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Luke. Yeah, thank you, man. Thanks for being here.